stage, open up your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. Okay, Titus chapter 3. If you want to follow along in the Bible with us, we will have ushers coming down the aisles to give you a handheld copy. We highly encourage this. We want you to be able to follow along in your Bible so when you take it, you can read at home and know where we're at. So if you want one, just slip your hand up. The people will come by. We do this every week. Don't feel weird about it. If you don't even own a Bible, you do now. It's our free gift to you. Hands high. I see kind of some weird things. Just don't be ashamed. It's the word of the Lord. Okay? Um, We are, I think, what, we've got three weeks left here in the book of Titus. Now, I always want to give a big 35,000-foot flyover view uh, of what's going on in this letter to help give us context for where we're going today. So what's happening is Titus is this disciple of this church planner named Paul. The church is exploding after the resurrection of Jesus. And so Paul is now writing these letters to these churches to say some practical things, some theological things, some doctrinal things, things that will make the church healthy, right? So we've talked about the letter Titus is often, for us now, a course corrector. Okay, so that what we can do is we can take the gospel, or sorry, take the letter to Titus and hold it up like this, and then we place our lives and our church over it, and we see where there's discrepancy and say, all right, Jesus, thanks. Now I know to course correct, right, where, where there's a disconnect, where, okay, this is what God is saying the church should look like, this is what good teaching should be, and, and for some reason we're just off, this allows us to align, right, it allows us to course correct both in our individual lives and us as a church, and so that's, that's kind of where we're at in Titus. We also said last week that there's this transition moment now in the letter, where in the first half it's highly pragmatic, practical, and focused on the external right? So what what do you need to do, church, in order to be a healthy church? But there becomes this transition moment. I think it's intentional by Paul, the author, to say, okay, if we get too focused on the external, we will miss the whole thing. And so the entire second half of the letter to Titus is really focused on the internal, what's going on in the heart. It's really about the gospel of grace, I think Paul realized how man works and knows that we will get so focused on what we do and we will leave Jesus behind. And so last week, we just kept kind of hammering home this same question. Do you, and this is Christian, do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to be like Jesus? Because that's what you sign up for, right? When you say, okay, man, Lord and Savior, this means you slowly conform by the power of the Holy Spirit to look more like Jesus tomorrow than you did today, tonight than this morning. Do you really want to look like Jesus? The power of sanctification, the becoming like Christ, is also and completely motivated, shaped, and empowered by the grace and gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the overarching theme we've seen for the second half is that the gospel of grace saves us, sanctifies us, sends us, and secures us. And so last week we focused on the sanctify aspect, make us more like Christ. Today we get to sit in and rejoice, and I agree with Todd wholeheartedly. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. We get to talk about how it saves us and how it secures us. And how it is the foundation for everything we do in life. Listen, if last week, if answering the question, do you want to be more like Jesus, was kind of tough for you to think through and and really say a resounding yes to, it will get easier if you understand today. 
Like if you can truly sit in the power of the gospel that saves and justifies, that sets you free, what grace is, man, you all day are saying yes and amen, Christ make me more like you. That's how important today. It is the most important thing in the faith is what Christ has done to secure your justification. It shapes everything else. The gospel is absolutely central. Now, I want to address a couple crowds here. One, if you're not a Christian and you're visiting with us, thanks for being here. Right? Like, I, I really want to uh, uh, acknowledge and honor that you would come and you'd engage in an environment that you disagree with or are uncomfortable with. And I don't know the reason why you came. Maybe you just want to ask questions. Maybe someone promised lunch and you're like, dude, I give my left eye for Diablo Burger, so I'm in. Right? M- maybe that's why you're, I don't know. But I want to say, please, here, I'm just going to put my cards on the table. I so desperately want you to believe what we say today. And I'm just like, I'm just saying, like, if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the one who has crafted, created, and set life and sustains all things, if you don't believe that he is your Lord, I'm going to tell you right now, that's what I want out of today. If that's you, I'm gonna, flat out, I want you to love and accept Jesus. I want him to be yours. I don't want you to be his. And, I, and that might sound a bit pretentious, right? Like, oh, we, we've got the corner on, on what's right in this world. And I'm just going to say, we don't, but the Bible does. And what we'll talk about is true and right. It is the true story of the world, whether you believe it or not. And so believe it. Okay. Now, to the Christian, we're going to hear this gospel story. Okay? And, and man, if, if I've been a Christian now, I think, for about 14, no, 13 years And so I've heard this, right, for 13 years. Been coming to churches, been preaching some of this stuff. And and so I've heard the gospel. And many of you Christians in the room, you've heard this same story over and over and over again. As I was prepping it this week, my my prayer to God was that he would give me fresh eyes, fresh ears, and a fresh heart to see, hear, and feel the gospel anew. And I want that for you. If you're here and you're a Christian, you're like, okay, yeah, this, I know this story, whatever. Let's get to the end. I want to sing. Or, you know, I, w- I want to go to lunch. Or, no, no, no. Man, Christian, listen to the story. May we see it afresh and anew. Verdi and I, we were on a vacation uh, last year, and we're sitting on this plane, and we're getting on the plane, and we hear this couple that's a few rows behind us, and we come to find out they're like in their 70s, um, and they had never been on a plane before right? And it seems like they had never really been out of state before. It's kind of their first vacation at age 70 plus. And they begin to just, you hear the way that they talk about the airplane and what they're doing. They look at the airplane, like, how is this, you know, like, supersized Pringles can going to save us? You know, like, I don't, is this going to work? And they're just talking to each other. And they call the stewardess over, and she walks over, and they say this question. She goes, ma'am, does the hotel we're staying at have a restaurant? And the lady goes, I, I don't know. And they go, okay, thanks, right? And what I found so amazing about this moment was that they were learning something for the first time. It's not that, that this didn't exist before, but there was this beauty in this ignorance to say, man, this is the way this works, And gosh, I so desperately want this for us. And so I'm going to pray for us Christians in the room one more time here and just ask that we would be like people on our first vacation. 
that we would just be asking questions that maybe we kind of already know the answer to, but because we want more, right? We want more of Jesus. Okay, what do you truly have for me? And so let's, let's pray real briefly. We got to move, but I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would do that work for us. Let's do it. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story. I pray for those in the room who already love you, who know you, who know this story, that you would give us fresh eyes and fresh ears and a fresh heart. God, we'd see things we've never seen before, hear things we've never heard before, God, and be motivated and so grounded and founded in the richness and depth of this amazing gospel story. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so here's what he's going to do. Verses 1 and 2 are encouragements to the church. I think building off this, hey, do you want to be like Jesus? And we say, yes. Okay, really, do you want to be like Jesus? So he's going to come in here with these first two verses, and we're going to come back to them later, but he's going to come in with these first two verses to say, all right, then here are some of the two hardest teachings that I'll ever give you. Okay, two of the hardest things I'll ever give you. Number one, verse one, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to be ready for every good work. Okay, so be submissive to rulers and authorities. Okay, and so in, in, in the Greek, right, in the Greek, that word submit means submit, right? It, it means if, if the rulers and authorities say, hey, this is what we want you to do, you say, okay. Like, there, there isn't another way to read it. The Greek rendition is not different. Submit to the rulers and authorities because every ruler and authority Christ himself has placed in that position. There, there's no going around it, although that's what we want to do all the time. And, and maybe as you're thinking through this, you're like, well, what about this thing? and What about that? Hey, listen, I get it, but if you think it's harder for you to submit today than it was for the people receiving this letter in 66, then you're just way off. So are there things in our nation, are there things at your work, are there things in your family that you're like, I don't want to submit to that? Sure, but I doubt you're being run by an emperor named Nero who's burning and killing your family at the stake. In 64, two years prior to this letter being written, the emperor is literally killing Christians and passing policy after policy that are against this new faith. And then here we go. Paul. Did you, do you, Paul, do you not realize what's happening in the Roman Empire? You, you're tell, you want us to submit to that guy? You want us to sit underneath this oppression and this rule? That, that, so, so we complain today in 2016 because our mom told us to clean our room, because, and on and on with the illustrations. No, guys, Paul is telling the people of God to submit to one of the greatest authoritarian dictators in the history of this world. It just means submit. This is a tough teaching. This is a tremendously tough teaching because we tend to be very self-righteous. No, no I, I know better, and so I'll do my own thing. No, no, no that's, that's not what you're called to. Do you really want to follow Jesus? Do you really want to be like Jesus? Submit to the rulers and authorities that I've placed over you. That's it. Now, what if it's sin? Okay? Don't submit. Okay. If it's sin, don't submit. No, you subvert that, you reject that all day long. And you also, listen... 
You can use the reality that we live in a nation that allows you to protest, allows you to vote, allows you to engage, allows you to petition, allows you to conversate, allows you to talk about issues that you disagree with. Do that all day long. Be vocal. Engage with things you disagree with. But at the end of the day, if what is past is not sin, you got to obey it. Submit to the rulers and authorities. So again, he's just coming out, guns blazing. He's saying, listen, you really want to follow Jesus? Submit to Nero. Submit to the Roman government who wants to kill you. Because in your submission, they'll see Jesus. It's all for the sake of the gospel. And we're going to come back to more of that in just a moment. Now, listen, this is not a new problem for man. This is a problem since, literally, disobedience, usurping authority, is a sin as old as sin. Okay? Genesis chapter 3, God says, listen, hey, there's one thing I don't want you to do. And what do they go and do? That exact one thing. Right? As, as soon as the opportunity exists to usurp authority and not submit, humanity does it. Lay it down. Your life's not your own. You're bought with a price. On and on. Lay it down. Submit to the rulers and authorities. Okay? It goes on, right? To be obedient. To be ready for every good work. Why, why obedience? Uh, why this laying down? Why, why amidst this oppression? Why would Paul be telling the Christians in the early church, even amongst Nero, do you submit? And it's for every good work. It's for the sake of the gospel. It's so that in your submission, they see Jesus. It's so that in your submission, you are then freed to have the right conversations. So instead of bickering and fighting over trivial matters, instead we get to have the opportunity to engage people with the life-giving, life-altering, life-changing story and grace and goodness of Jesus. Why submit? Because the gospel's worth way more than you being right. Why, why submit? Because you being right doesn't save people. It doesn't restore the world. It doesn't redeem anything. It just makes you more proud. Lay it down. Unless it's sin, war, rebel, also. Listen, use, use the gifts that we've been given in this country to, to fight, to push against things that are wrong, that you disagree with. But at the end of the day, we submit for the sake of the gospel. The second one, the second command, and this, I think, is even more difficult. It says this in verse 2, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy to all people. Right? So, love everyone. Okay? L love everybody. Hear me. Love everyone. Not the people that you like, or just the people you like. Love them too, right? Don't just love the people that you like. Don't just love the people that look like you. Don't just love the people that will give you gain. Also love the people that want to come and hurt you. Love them. Now, love looks different ways, and so that doesn't always mean like, hey, just give me a hug. You're trying to kill me. That's right. So love them. Have your heart be so motivated for their best that you desire more for them than they desire for themselves. Love everybody. Love everyone. There are no exceptions. You feel malice. You feel, we're going to get to that. Love everybody. 
So don't speak evil. Don't quarrel. Right? Do be gentle and be courteous. I always seem to bring this up, but man, when you, just, when you see some of the debates that exist that Christians get involved in, and I mean, I don't see gentleness. I don't see courtesy. I do see a lot of quarreling. I see a lot of bickering. I see a lot of fighting. And you need to come and tell me how you can do that and still say, yeah, I'm obedient to Titus 3.2. You're not. And I'm not. I get involved in the same stuff. I get caught up in this, and I always find it's so I can justify me because I don't get the gospel. I still think I'm trying to earn this thing, so I need to prove to you I'm smarter than you because I don't believe that Jesus' sacrifice was good enough to justify me completely. I don't need to be made right in front of you. You don't need to be made right in front of anyone. You're already made right by the blood of Jesus. Don't quarrel. Don't bicker. Be courteous to all. Just this week I was reading a story. Maybe you guys saw it. There was a, um, and, and please hear me, this has nothing to do with politics, but there was a guy, and I don't know who he's supporting or whatever, but he's a tow truck driver, and he went to go stop, and he pulled over on the side of the road, and, uh, and he pulls up to the guy to go pick him up, and, and the guy had a Bernie Sanders sticker, right? And he was a Sanders supporter. And so the guy, a, a paid tow truck driver, left him on the side of the road, okay? And when asked why, he said he just felt God tell him to. God, God called me, and he's rejoicing because he finally says, I finally took a stand for what I believe. That is not the right stand to take, friend. Not, not in light of Scripture. Right? Now, now I, I could see it if he did it and then pulled away as a joke and then reversed and came back. That's funny. <laughs> like, oh, I hate what you believe in, but I'm still going to do my job. And for then him to come and then publicly state the reason he did it is because the God of the Bible, the Christian God, the God who's saying, listen, love everyone, be courteous to everyone, is the God that told you, yeah, leave that dude on the side of the road. Because you don't believe in his political ideology. Come on. I think we hear that story, and maybe in this moment, most of us are like, ah, man, I wouldn't do that. Man, you would do that kind of stuff. I do that kind of stuff all the time. When we bicker and we fight over these matters... That are, listen, I don't want to say trivial as if they are important, but they're not the gospel. Okay? We need to be in those conversations. We need to have those conversations. But we need to do so in a certain way. There's a way we dialogue. There's a way we converse as people who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? The gospel has so saved us that we need not act this way. Okay? And so let's not act this way. Now, the rest of our time... It's just going to be the gospel story. And we're going to look at through the, this rubric, this, this, this idea of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And, and this is what I love about this text. It all sets it up so perfectly for us. So here we go, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Okay? So, so, so this idea of fall, right? Um, and I just realized I skipped over creation, which I, it's not in my notes, so I messed up. So let me backtrack. Creation is where this all begins, okay? Genesis chapter one. The gospel doesn't start 
in Genesis chapter 3. That's why I had to make sure I hit this, because oftentimes we start our gospel presentations to one another in Genesis chapter 3. It says, hey man, you know, you're a sinner, and so Jesus died for your sins so you can go to heaven. Right? That, that's kind of the very truncated version of the gospel we sell to the world. So we start in Genesis chapter 3, but the gospel, the good news, starts in Genesis chapter 1. That God created the world perfectly, right? What we learn in this is God's perfect and beautiful heart, his love for mankind and all creation. If we miss the front end, if we miss God's relentless love and pursuit of his people, we don't get the gospel. His intention for you and for me was perfection, was love, was goodness, was kindness, was peace, was hope all the time. Not just in little glimmers and moments like we have it now but fully living that. I know we can't even fathom this reality, but that's where the gospel starts. Creation. God created you and me in his image to know him and to love him. And so when we learn this this other part, this second part to the equation, that we are filled with all of these things. See, what happens in Genesis chapter 3, again, one action. Don't do this. Don't be disobedient. And Adam and Eve are disobedient. Sin, brokenness enter into the world. And all that peace, all that hope, all that love, that joy, that kindness, that connection with God we were supposed to have in the garden was all of a sudden fractured, broken, and lost. See, the, part of the gospel, part of the good news is that you're more wretched than you'd ever know. Because the reality is, is the more you can see yourself here in verse 3, the greater the gospel becomes. We say this here a lot, but if you're just kind of a, oh, I'm actually a pretty darn good person, I don't really sin that, you know, whatever, the gospel's not all that good news to you because you're already good enough. But man, if you can truly step into, man, no, I'm, I'm pretty jacked up, which you are, the gospel becomes not just good, it becomes great, it becomes magnificent. It becomes everything you are willing to die for, to lay your life down for. Okay. And so I ran through this list and I began to think through, man, what, what me before I knew Jesus, and listen, hear me, I'm still a lot of these things, but hopefully in, in measured ways, justified by the blood of Christ, which we'll talk about in just a moment, but me in high school before I knew Jesus, and I just ran down the list I was given, foolish, yeah. Maybe all of you, and some of you are actually still in high school, I don't know, but think back to high school, right? Foolish, yeah. Are you kidding? Some of the stuff, we time we had it, we were at gunpoint in front of an officer for toilet paper in a house, right? Which just seems a little over the top. Um, and the buddy, me, buddy next to me says, hey man, should I make a run for it? I said, no, he's going to shoot you. And you just tore the paper to house. Like, what, what, what do you think is going to happen to you? I'm going to send you to like a Turkish prison. We do dumb stuff. Foolish. Disobedient. Yeah. Ask my mom. Ask my dad. Disobedient. Yeah. On big levels, small levels, in between. She will tell you all day, that not one obedient kid. Was I led astray because of enslavement to passions and pleasures? Yeah. Gosh, man, I was swayed all the time. Whether it was, man, I wanted to gossip about something, I wanted to uh, portray a certain lifestyle, I was, I was kind of doing the sexual uh, immorality thing, whatever it was. Yeah, I was swayed by the brokenness and the pleasures of high school. Yeah, totally. Malice. Right? I read this one, I was like, no, nah, man, mali- I'm not malicious, that sounds. And then I thought about, oh, yeah, I remember playing football. And all I wanted to do was hurt the other person, right? I I would get in the zone, and I'm like, man, how do I take that guy out of the game? That's malicious. Some of you are like, you're a jerk. I know. I also remember thinking through, 
And this, again, hear me. This is not a statement on war. This is a state of my heart. But I remember when, man, in high school, I remember when, uh, when, when 9-11 hit, I was like, all right, let's go kill everyone. Like, I mean, I literally, like, as soon as I was like, oh, what's our retaliation? Let's go kill everybody. And I remember when we invaded, I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, okay, well, this is, this is good because their numbers of death are really high and ours are really low. So thank goodness, praise God, more of them are dying. Again, you're thinking, you're, oh, man, yeah. That is, that is the, the sin that's malicious, it's malice. Envy, yeah. Did I want what everyone else had? Absolutely. Did I pursue to try and get them? Yes. Hated by others? Yeah. Gosh, there was a guy named, I'm, never mind, I'm not going to say his name because he's listening. There was a guy in high school, and this was right after some of the early school shootings. He had a death list that was found on his possession. My name was one of five names on the death list. And then he came up to me afterwards, he goes, hey man, I was never going to really go through with it. I was like, thanks, dude. You weren't going to kill me. Appreciate that. Hated by others? Yeah. Why? Because what did I do? I stepped on his head to work my way up the social ladder. Okay. Hating each other. Have you ever been to high school? Okay. It's just a giant wine fest. But who did what? And she did this. And he did this. Everyone hates each other all over the place. Listen. This list should not be hard for us. Don't get defensive about it. Acknowledge it. This is who we are. This is just humanity. Maybe you're the outlier. I don't know. But probably not. Because as I read my Bible, and as I go through history, it's just littered with brokenness, pain, us hurting each other, us committing terrible things. It's just who we are. We're broken. Sin entered the world. That's the reality. The fall happened. Now, the more we believe this, the more these last two things become the greatest possible thing these ears could ever hear that our hearts could ever cling to. Verse four. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So we have creation, right? God created perfect. We blew it, fall, sin, brokenness. Part three is redemption. Okay, and, and there's kind of three steps here in the text. The first step is God showed up. Okay, hear me. God showed up in my life, in your life, in the life of the world. He did not have to do this. I think some of us kind of treat the gospel as in, well, well yeah, like he should do it. No, no, no. He shouldn't have done it. You didn't deserve it, I didn't deserve it. The world does not deserve what Christ did. And my guess is, is that as soon as the fall happened and sin came into the world, when God enacted his rescue plan to win back the creation that was lost, my guess is it had nothing to do with a have to. It had to do with the relentless pursuit and love of a God who for whatever reason thought it was important enough to come down here get into our mess, become like one of us, live perfectly, die the death we deserve to die, and be raised on the third day that we too could have new life. The second step to the gospel, to the redemption piece of the gospel, is the Holy Spirit, he comes in, and he reaches into your heart, and he transforms you, and he grants faith, and he grants belief, and he grants love. 
because of what Christ accomplished on your behalf. That he did not have to. Christian, hear me. Like, we, we, we've heard this story. And I know nothing I'm probably saying to the most of you. You're like, oh, really? That happened? Hear me. The God who created you decided to become like you. To do everything you could not do. And then do the one thing you deserve to do, which was die. In your place. Paid your ransom. Gave you new life. Uh, uh, take, take the cosmic God deity aspect out of this. If your closest friend, family member, did this for you, died in your place, would you not live for them? Would you not say, okay, man, based on what you've told me, you've done this for me, you've given me new life, now I live in response to what you've done for me. Guys, the gospel saves. This story has to be central to everything in your life. It's not an addendum. It's not just like a decent thing that we carry around and we bring with us when we come here on Sundays. It is the story and the narrative of the world. And if you don't think so, then I think you believe in a different story. Because this story is crazy. A God dying that the people he created that disobeyed him would have life, that just makes no sense. It almost makes no sense that this has to be true. Okay. The gospel must be central for us. This last part, <clears throat> part four of the gospel, verse seven. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Part four, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's so justified now, made clean and free before the eyes of God. Meaning, listen, you did not do anything to earn it. You need not do anything to keep it. If you're his, you're his. Praise God for that reality. A good friend of mine said, listen, if, if you could lose your salvation, you would. I guarantee it. So would I. If you could lose your salvation, you would. I, no doubt in my mind. God's grace, God's mercy, God's hope, God's will saves us, justifies us once and for all so that now we have the hope as heirs of eternal life. Man, so, so the heaven peace is true. I mean, that, that's real, guys. It's not just life here. It's life forever. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And so I'm going to read a passage from Revelation 21 about this heaven that we are to live in one day. This is John talking about this vision. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This beautiful vision for what is to come. It's not this off-cloud fairy city. It's not. It's here restored. It's here made right. It's here as it should be 
if original sin didn't happen. It's what would have happened if the garden was cultivated and grown and given to us and used the way it was supposed to be. That's what heaven is. The greatest part is God is here and with us in his fullness to the point where it says there need not be a sun because his light will permeate everything. Man, that is a beautiful vision for what is to come. Again, this story, you've heard it. I've heard it. Non-Christians, if you've never heard it, believe it. It's just, it's just true. It took me 19 years to believe it. I don't know how old you are. It's just true. He made you. You rebelled. He lived the life you couldn't live and died the death you deserved to secure a new life for you here and hereafter. It's the gospel. And it's all here in these beautiful seven verses. And and what's interesting is I think we can look at the first two verses and think that they're separate from the rest of this text. They're not. I think Paul, man, wise, but obviously Holy Spirit inspired, gives us verses one and two here. Because he's trying to emphasize what Jesus did to win this story for you. Jesus was fully submitted to every authority and ruler to his father first and foremost, that he humbled himself. Think about this. You're God and you decide to leave your perfection, perfect community and humble yourself to come down to this mess. Right? Submits himself to the father's will in the going. Submits himself to the father's will in his living. Submits himself to the father's will in his death. Submits himself to the will of the father in his resurrection. Fully. See, so we have Jesus. The gospel is that Jesus did what we might get frustrated about on the front end of the sermon. No, no, he laid his life down. He submitted fully, not just to God, but also to the authorities of the day. Did he subvert? Yes. Did he go against sin? Yes. But you're telling me you don't think the God of the universe on the cross couldn't have gotten himself down? You don't think the God of the universe couldn't have called down, as he said, a legion of angels to remove him, to smote everyone there? Certainly he could have, but no, he submits even to the authorities of this world because he was desiring the flourishing of you and for me, the redemption of all creation. And the second thing that motivates and grants victory in this story is that God's love is for everyone. And so this gospel is for everyone. So I don't, I don't think these first two things are just detached. No, they're a picture of what Christ did, what he accomplished, so that three through seven, so that this reality of the gospel being transformative and powerful for the people of God is true. He submitted fully to the will of God, and he loved everyone all the way to the cross. Man, that is, what a beautiful, amazing Savior that we have. I want to say this. I'm going to land here. If this is true, if this story is true, non-Christian, if you're here and this story is true, you need to believe it. You need to give your life over to it. If it's true, maybe just looking at it's bogus, all right, we can, let's talk about that. But if it's true, if it's ringing true, if like that, that yeah, God, made, that makes sense. Maybe also it doesn't make any sense at all to the point where that makes sense. If that makes any sense. I'm Christian, if you're here, this is the true story of the world. Please believe it. Put your faith in God. 
not in yourself. It doesn't work. I've tried it. Okay. If this is true, believe it. Okay. If this is true, Christian, listen, anything in this world, anything in this world, anything can happen to you, anything can be taken from you, anything can be given to you, you can go here, there, wherever, you could fail, succeed, does not matter, you are not swayed or pulled by the passions, the emotions of this world because you are founded and grounded in this story, which is true, which has a sovereign king, which is over your life and is orchestrating everything for his glory and your joy. If this is true, So this means we could submit to the rulers and authorities over us. This means we could have the audacity to love everybody. I mean, truly love everyone. Even the person right now, you're like, gosh, I just want to. You can love them. You can lay your life down for them because you have been justified in Jesus. You don't need to justify yourself any longer. You don't need to be right. Christ has made you right once and for all. If this is true, True contentment, true peace, true love is possible. I want to land with this favorite quote of mine. Um, It's from an author named Brennan Manning. He wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel, which if you haven't read, please read. It's just one of the most amazing books on the topic of grace and the gospel and the love of God, I think, out there. And I want to land with this, this verse and we'll pray. He says this, Because salvation is by grace through faith. I believe that among the countless number of people standing in front of the throne and in front of the Lamb, dressed in white robes and holding palms in their hands, I shall see the prostitute from the Kit Kat Ranch in Carson City, Nevada, who tearfully told me that she could find no other employment to support support her two-year-old son. I shall see the woman who had an abortion and is haunted by guilt and remorse, but did the best she could faced with grueling alternatives. The businessman besieged with debt who sold his integrity in a series of desperate transactions. The insecure clergyman addicted to being liked who never challenged his people from the pulpit and longed for unconditional love. The sexually abused teen molested by his father and now selling his body on the street who as he falls asleep each night After his last trick, whispers the name of the unknown God he learned about in Sunday school. But how, we ask. Then the voice says, they have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There they are. There we are. The multitude who so wanted to be faithful, who at times got defeated, soiled by life and bested by trials, wearing the bloodied garments of life's tribulations, but through it all clung to faith in Christ Jesus. My friends, if this is not good news to you, you have never understood the gospel of grace. Let's pray. Jesus, your radical radical grace in pursuit of us. It's just impossible to fully figure out, to talk about, to mind the depths of. And I pray, I pray for any here who have never seen this story be true in their life, have never trusted you with their life. Would today be the day that you save, that you make your presence known in their life. 
that you draw them into the family and kingdom of God. Would today be the day of salvation? And not because of anything but their faith in you. You have accomplished everything, and so we just believe. God, I pray that you would bring that conviction and that hope and that love upon their hearts. God, I pray that for the rest of us who who know you and love you, God, will we just get and understand the depths of your grace more and more that completely saves us, that allows us to not sit in fear this morning that we're not doing enough. God, but completely sets us free to just live in response to what you've accomplished for your glory, for our joy, and the sake of the world. We can just let go. We can breathe. There can be just life given as we stop striving to please someone who is already pleased with us because of Jesus. God, send us with this message to the world. Will we be your people, your vessels, your ambassadors, equipped with the greatest story? God, I, I, expose the depth of our sin. The deeper we go, the deeper I go, God, the more, the more your gospel is good news to me. We do not deserve you, Lord. We don't deserve your work. We don't deserve you to even sustain us. But thank you that you do. Thank you that your kindness and your love appeared not because of us, but just because your kindness and love came because you wanted to win back that which was lost. Let this story be made more real than ever before. To your name we pray, amen. So now as always, we're gonna reflect